Phil, that was uh, John Culkin. But before we get into the discussion, uh, please, if you're listening on the podcast or watching on YouTube channel, hit the um, button that says subscribe. It doesn't cost anything, but it, we'd love to have you as a subscriber to our station. Uh, hopefully that will help give us longevity. And uh, don't forget our archives, over 300 shows, really great, great uh, stuff in there. And another wonderful interview. That was fascinating. Uh, medical doctor, photographer, uh, get the book, fabulous photos. Uh, about uh, all but 20, I think, you know, so 90% are uh, black and white, uh, 20 in color. And he explains why that is. And it really captures a lot in, in that. And uh, yeah. Bhutan, he was in Bhutan. I actually tried going to Bhutan a couple of times where I had some plans to go. Very difficult country to get into. You have to have a guide. Too many restrictions on it. But it's, it's like Shangri-La. It's a culture that's been extremely protected. And uh, they they want to maintain the cultural integrity, and uh, pretty spectacular place I've been told, and from the photos I've seen. But in any event, uh, really a wonderful uh, discussion uh, with him today. And you know, uh, the, the pictures are not only beautiful, but they capture uh, certain uh, intimacy, a spiritual intimacy that is very uh, revealing. And, uh, you know, you could go through the book almost like a contemplative exercise and linger with each picture and right. feel like you're present in these right. sacred moments. It's a, it's a beautiful thing in that. Yeah, way. and I mentioned to him, and I, I really feel that photos like that you look at in and uh, uh, you see different things at different times. And it tells you a lot of tells a person a lot about where they're at and uh, what they're going through at any given time. Just like reading a book, reading something like the Bhagavad Gita yeah. uh, at different times. It, it, it's a, a good way to see uh, if it, and how you're evolving or growing. And uh, same things with, with these photos. Uh, he mentioned the, in, in Bhutan, uh, the protocol uh, for taking photos. I know I've been in some countries like in Morocco where people generally don't like getting their picture taken unless you ask them, even here in Iowa, where I am, if you want to take a picture of the Amish, they're not so crazy about it. You, you want to talk to them and make sure they're comfortable with it. And I think that's a respectful and the right thing to do. And certainly that was his approach in, in, uh, in Bhutan. And he, he took far fewer photos than I thought he would have taken. It wasn't just snap, snap, snap. It yeah. had to be the right time, right place. And, but he certainly uh, uh, came up with some great ones. And his whole emphasis on compassion uh, comes across in his photos. You know, when I'm in India, um, everybody's taking pictures because it's such a tourist place. Right. Um, and you see you know, people, especially if they're, they have children around, they're happy. They just, you know, smile and let you take right. a picture or they'll wave. And in many t instances, they'll want you to pose with them so they can take pictures of the Westerner right. visiting the temple or whatever. Right. Uh, it's, it's fascinating, especially I've noticed blonde women. Blonde women are, there's no blonde women in India who are right. native to the country. So when they see a blonde woman, they want it to, you know, they, they think it's great. They want to take a picture with her. And it's all very friendly, but that's tourist stuff. 
John was getting stuff that you know tourists don't see right. because he was part of the culture. He, right. he was integrated into it and took pictures only at certain moments when it was okay to do. That's rare. I mean, I even in India, you go to temples and you know they'll wave you away with photo right. with camera in places. They right. don't want you intruding on the you know. Right. A ritual or a sacred rite or something so yeah yeah he he uh uh he also uh d- discussed uh, his interactions with the dalai lama and the dalai lama really uh encouraging him to spread this message of compassion which he has done and his book does that and he he's a medical doctor he works with, when he went to bhutan he was not only taking photographs he was actually working in the hospital so like he said in the interview he really sees what's going on. He gets yeah. into the nitty gritty, meets uh, people of all sorts, goes is with people when they're going through very, very tough time. So, and and I, I think doctors in general, you, you go into medicine because generally because you have some level of compassion, but he certainly has uh, developed that in a very, very powerful way. And and I, I think it'd be great if he went to medical schools and gave talks uh, because- Maybe he does. Yeah, maybe he does. And- uh, but his whole message of compassion is a wonderful one. And, and we certainly need it in, in the world today, in the United States, everywhere. Yeah. Uh, because uh, you don't always get that message. If you watch movies, TV, uh, you look at social media or whatever, it's not always a message of compassion. And hopefully our show uh, is inspiring people for deeper, more spiritual values. And with greater spiritual development, I think compassion naturally comes. Yeah, and we have such diverse programming that um, people people can sort of get a a lesson in comparative spirituality, and you see when you see the commonality of all these different approaches to spirituality, it kind of encourages that uh, openness that mm-hmm. produces compassion and empathy. Uh, you know, and the Dalai Lama, you know, is a great emissary for compassion and for the kind of uh, spiritual authority that doesn't seek to convert anybody. Right. Uh, and, you know, we meet, need more or, or to proclaim his way, the best way or the only right. way. And, we, you know, he's a great living example right. Right. of that. Right. I think even religions of uh, conversion uh, would do better if they didn't try to talk people into converting and they just showed a good example and then people would want to do what they do or uh, fall in line uh, with their belief system uh, more readily than than, uh, forced conversions. And you hear the stories of colonialism and, and what happened and people being forced to convert. Uh, in Native American schools in, in North America, there was a lot of that. And it just, uh, it, it's, it's not good. And uh, I think the, the, the approach that Dalai Lama uses of being very universal and seeing uh, the good and, and uh, the compassionate and the truth in, in many different versions is uh, where we should, I believe, be headed. We, we are showing contemporary spirituality we try to really approach it from every angle. And, and what I've learned in these 300 plus interviews is the commonality amongst folks seeking 
spiritual development from whatever angle or tradition you're, you're coming from. Yeah. And certainly, I mean, you wrote American Veda. In that book, you, you talk about, uh, you know, one sort of body of belief and tradition uh, coming from the East to the West and, and uh, how in many, many cases there was a, 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 the ability to integrate that. Oh, it, that's why, you know, there was something to write about in a book like American Veda because it had a huge impact on the culture without anybody uh, trying to convert anybody. The, you know, every uh, teacher who came here, every guru, every swami, every yoga master, similarly, every Buddhist teacher, always it was, you know, these teachings are universal. You can accept them, reject them. You could take them into your life, stay a Christian, stay a Jew, whatever, be an atheist. It doesn't matter. You can you can look at these any way you want and, and integrate them into your life any way you want. That's very appealing to Americans. Um, and the image of the the uh, missionary, uh, bro, we, you know, no one's out there forcing conversions anymore, but they're coercing them. There's a lot of coercive missionary work going on in Asia and in Africa. Uh, every, you know, it's almost like outright bribery and, um, you know, but I don't want to get into that. But, you know, yeah. I, I, Needless I, to say, I mean, it's not necessary. They would do much better by just setting a good example and there and, are and some there are there's gen, you know christian many, missionaries many, who yeah. are there and they go and open a hospital or open a, a school and they're there to serve their god and you know that's they're not yeah. forcing core uh, uh, yeah i would say by and large people that go into missionary work are good people that want to help other people yeah, but conversion. Sometimes people get think they're away. helping by conversion by converting yeah. them. Too. It's when they, they when they see beyond that. I I spent time in Africa and I would see that. I would just think, wait a second, you know, just help people for the sake of helping people. It doesn't be to not to convert them. And if that if you make that available and they choose to do that, wonderful. Uh, it, it's that, a very big controversial thing in India at the moment. That right. aggressive, coercive mm -hmm. conversion attempts. We should say that uh, Phil leads uh, uh, trips to uh, to India. Uh, yeah. and, uh, tell us tell us a little bit about that. I don't think you've ever talked to our listeners about what you do. Well, we you know we've done four tours now. They're always three to four weeks, and we bring twenty, twenty three, four people. And Where do you go? Depends on we change it each time. But it's India. India, yeah. yeah, they're all rooted in in American Veda. We take people primarily to places associated with the famous gurus that they're they're familiar with, um, and other you know cultural and uh, spiritual settings. Um, and we have it's a great thing. I, I I get a lot out of it myself. The people always do. We had to uh, cancel the last scheduled one because of COVID, but we're scheduling one for next October, October of 2022. Uh, and um, that'll be up on the web, probably by the time people see this. Right. This is- uh, Thank you for asking, Dennis. 
You're welcome. It was not solicited. <laughs> it just came out. And again, hit those subscribe buttons. We would really like that. We are trying to stay on the air. We hope to do so. And we always want to be free and available to everyone everywhere for free. There have been people out there that have contributed to help keep us on the air. We are not a nonprofit. It's not a donation. It's a contribution. And if you wish to do so, either on a regular basis or a one-time basis, go to spiritmatterstalk.com and uh, you'll get that information as to how to support us from there. And again, we are now also a YouTube channel. And if you go to YouTube and just type in three words, Spirit Matters Talk, we will pop up. And we have, I don't know, at least a couple of dozen, maybe more on video now. And uh, that's growing. And we have many, many subscribers there. And we're, we're uh, hoping to grow more. And we want to upgrade our equipment and systems. And uh, so whether you want to watch us or you prefer just to listen to us and not see us, uh, we are available to you now. So any final words, Phil? No, Joe, oh, we, uh, people Google John Colkin and buy his book. Yeah, and the name of the book? Inner Harmony. Inner Harmony. You know and, what it uh, is? Wait, let's, let's make sure yeah. I got that right. Yeah, Inner Harmony, Living in Balance. Great. John Colkin the with person, a K-O-L-K-I-N. I'm, 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 I'm doubly glad to recommend it because the proceeds go to very good charities. Right. That's, exactly. He explained that in the interview. Uh, okay. Phil, until yeah. next time. Next time.